I hope you're already there. If you're not, take your Bibles and go to Genesis 18. Uh, For the two weeks prior to this, we're in this series, by the way. I started this series January of 22. So if some of you have been out of church for a while and you're just coming back, you're like, he's still preaching that. Well, okay, I took half the year and did Hebrews. I came back to this again January of 23. I've been in and out, in and out. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish to the Isaac narrative of Abraham almost killing his son in a few weeks. Then I'm going to go back to Hebrews and finish it the last part of this year, okay? Um, I promise you before, before they put Christmas decorations out, we'll be back in Hebrews, I think, unless some places are already putting Christmas decorations out. So here's what we got to do. We got to get through more of this Genesis narrative in these big swaths. A few weeks back when we were still in Genesis, I did this mini-series called Here's Your Sign. Some of y'all remember that. Uh, And we said in chapter 16 and 17, all of world history has been impacted radically by these events. We talked about the formation of the Arabic peoples, the tension that's happened out of the Arabian Peninsula that translates all the way to today, the tension between Jews and Christians, and Muslims, and uh, listen, this didn't just start in 9-11, okay? This didn't just start with the horrible terrorist attacks. There have been tensions and killings, and millions have lost their lives because of things that actually were set in motion way back here. But then we also learned in that series that God gives us new names as a sign of his covenant faithfulness to us. And so Abram, exalted father, becomes Abraham father of a multitude, right? And God gave the Jews circumcision as a sign of the covenant. We do not believe in covenant theology here in this sense. You are not baptized as an infant in the Baptist church or in the traditional way that we understand the scripture. You're not baptized as an infant because you have not personally accepted Jesus Christ. When you personally receive Christ as your Lord and Savior like this young man this morning, then as a sign of the covenant to the watching world, you follow Christ in believer's baptism. Today, we transition to a two-parter, which is brutal. I'm going to just be honest with you, especially next week, guys. One of the hardest things I've ever tried to unpack, and I know the story really well. Many of you know the story really well. But after having seen The Sound of Freedom um, last week, it's even harder to, to read about some of the twistedness and perversion that was going on there and things that we still hear about in our world today. I do commend that movie to you, but I would not take a child. I wouldn't take anybody under probably 14, maybe even 15 to see it. And it's kind of like The Passion of the Christ. I'm glad I saw it. I don't want to see it again. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. It just hurt my heart so deeply, but I do commend that, that film to you, uh, The Sound of Freedom. Okay, so what we're going to do, I'm going to take another movie title for this miniseries. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, I knew that phrase. I didn't know how I knew it. I had to look it up. I have never seen the 1966 film starring Clint Eastwood. I didn't know there was a movie named The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I didn't know about all of that. Some of you heathens know, but it's rated R, and it's got bad language. And I'm not going to do it. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) I haven't seen it. I admit I haven't seen it, and I'm not recommending it. However, I did do a lot of reading about the film and the synopsis, and that's the phrase that I kept coming to as I was unpacking chapters 18 and 19. There's some good in there. There really is. There's some bad in there. There really is. And there's a whole lot of ugly in there. Now, the good news is this week we're going to focus on more of the good, a little bit of the bad. Next week, 
It's really ugly. I mean, really, really ugly. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a circumstance come into your life where it was simultaneously a little of all three of those? Something was good. There's some good in it, but then there's some things not so good in it, and there's just some bad stuff in it. I've had some cases like that in my life, and I think that's what we're going to see unfolding before us. There's some good, some bad, and some ugly that sort of intertwine. I was uh, sharing with a couple of dear brothers in our church family this week. We were out to lunch, and um, I was telling some of the story of uh, our family, our situation, how my father was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's, February of 2012. By the grace of God, by May of 2012, Cindy and I, along with my mom, had negotiated the sale of their two businesses to a much larger business in Charlotte, North Carolina, and even kept Cindy on. She had been basically CFO for 19 years. My mother had trained her, but then they kept Cindy on for two more years to help train others, and it was a beautiful transition, and as hard as it was to see my father decline pretty rapidly over the next several years. My mother's made statements before that those were actually some of the best years. Because knowing the way my father worked, he would have died with a phone in his hand, or, or two phones, back in the day when they had the curly cords on them and the little plastic holder. He would have died in his office. Had he not gotten Alzheimer's, I could see my daddy working himself into a grave. But mom said by selling the companies and giving them some chances before he got bad to travel, that there were some really good, beautiful things that happened out of that. So is Alzheimer's good? No, no, man, it's ugly. It's not good. But can God take some things like Romans 8, 28 says in the context of suffering? We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Can God take some bad stuff and bring some good out of it? Yeah, I'd say he can. And in fact, in what we're going to see God took some really bad stuff and he brought some good out of it all the way to the birth of his son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're talking about essentially in the beginning of 18. We're talking about the birth of God's son. But it sort of reminds me of Charles Dickens' novel, The Opening to a Tale of Two Cities. I bet you can finish this. It was the best of times. It was, yeah, yeah. It was the best of times, and yet simultaneously it seemed it was the worst of times. So let's see some good with some bad sprinkled in. And then next week, if you're daring enough to come back, be careful with the kiddos next week. I've tried my best to figure out different ways of saying what the text says, but without fear of watering it down and changing its meaning, I'm going to be pretty blunt next week. We're going to get pretty blunt about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and what actually was taking place. And then, to add on top of it, insult to injury, the perversion of Lot's own daughters and what they did to their daddy. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be doing some skipping a little bit. So it'll be on the screens. They're great. Miss Bailey will keep up. But here's what I want you to do. Let's just look at 18 and let's start journeying down through that chapter. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. You sit in those tent doors, you, you close the flaps at night, it keeps the heat in, you open them up forward and backward, front, uh, fore and aft, and it lets the, the breezes blow through. So you'd normally sit at the entrance to your tent where you'd still have some shade and a little bit of the breeze. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I've now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. 
Please let a little water be brought. Wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, and I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after you may pass by, and as much as you've come to your servant. And they said, well, do as you've said. So he didn't promise a lot, just a little bread, a little washing. But Abraham hurried to the tent of Sarah, and he said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, make some cakes. Then he ran to the herd, took a tender and young calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So what's he doing? He's going above and beyond, right, showing hospitality. He took butter and milk and the calf he'd prepared, set it before them, and stood by them under the tree as they ate. Very common in that culture then, very common now. People will serve you and step back and watch, and they will not dare eat until you're finished. I know we don't often do it that way here. We kind of elbow our way to the front many times, but that's the way they did it. And so he's humbling himself before these visitors. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, heretofore, there's been no conversation of her. So we're getting a little glimpse of divinity here. We're getting a little glimpse of uh, the ethereal. Two are angels, one is the Lord. I'll explain. And he said, uh, here in the tent, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Guys, she's 90, okay? So try that on, ladies. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, uh, uh, being old also? Shall I have that pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And meaning, my hubby's old too. He's 100. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now that Lord, by the way, do you see the word Lord up there, L-O-R-D, all caps, or it's big L and then lower caps, O-R-D, that means Yahweh. So this is called a theophany. It's a vision of Christ, a vision of the Lord in bodily form. Some call it a Christophany. I actually believe this is more of a theophany. Could be, Christophany just means a pre-incarnate Christ in human form. But this is God coming to relate to man in a form that man can understand, looking like a human. The other two are angelic messengers in human form. They take on a body, and that is possible. We'll see that in a moment in Hebrews. That is possible. You could entertain angels unaware. And so what happens is the Lord says to Abraham, why did she laugh? See, because God knows everything. Didn't see her, didn't hear her, but he knew. And so um, why did she laugh? Uh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Now, this is a great question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. She was afraid. <laughs> the Lord said, no, you laugh. Listen, don't deny what God's already claimed about you, okay? That's just dumb. You're going to lose that battle. All right, so then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, that's Yahweh again, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Abraham will surely become a great nation, a mighty nation. All the nations of the earth should be blessed, for I've known him in order that he may command his children and household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's spoken to him. But the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I'm going to go down, I'm going to check that out, and I'm going to skip a little bit. Verse 22, the men turned away from there towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. So the theophany figure, the Lord himself, stays with Abraham to talk. 
becomes an interesting negotiation. The two angelic figures begin making their way towards Sodom. We'll pick that up next week when they get there and the horrible events that will unfold around them. Again, just be cautious. If you have your children here, that's fine. But you be prepared for the follow-up lunch conversation. Don't be calling me, okay? Because it's kind of tough in here. But we find that he stays around, and Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's 23. Now, that's key, guys. Now, what's going to happen here? Well, what happens is this back and forth. He says, would you destroy if there were 50 righteous? God said, I'll not destroy it for the sake of 50. And you can kind of see how that goes. If you're looking down at your Bible, you can kind of walk through that with your eyes and see. But what if there are five less, he says in 28? 45. God said, no, I won't do it. Well, now, what about 30? Now, he's very humble. He's saying, now, excuse me for saying this, but what if there are 30? And then he stops going by fives and drops to tens. Lord, what if there were 20 righteous? Would you destroy it for the sake of 20? Now, what's Abraham thinking in the back of his mind? My nephew Lot, his family, he he chose that. He's there. They're all living there. And his daughters and his wife, and he gets all the way from 20 down to 10, and he says, Lord, if you could find 10 righteous people in those wicked places, would you spare them? And God said, you know what God said? I would spare them. I will spare an entire city. That ought to say something to us, Christian. I will spare an entire city if I can find 10 righteous people. Now, question, church. Did God find 10? Not even 10. Heavenly Father, This section of Scripture has challenged and stretched me far more than I even expected and anticipated in getting into it. But I pray now, Lord, that it would stretch us, it would make us think deeply, to think well, to process what's going on here. And I pray, Lord, that we would be open to what you have to say in these moments by your Word and Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, guys, let's be seated, and let's start with this very good truth and very simple truth before we kind of get down into it in depth. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, even when circumstances seem impossible. Now, I've said sort of some points like that over the last few months in Genesis, but I really want to lay here for a little bit and really hammer on this as I unpack what's going on. Nothing is too hard for the Lord even when circumstances seem impossible. Let's unpack. We start in an area called Mamre near Hebron. It's about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And what Abraham is going to show us as the text unfolds through the early verses of chapter 18 is a model of ancient Near Eastern hospitality. It is a trait expected of God's people then and expected of God's people now. Listen to Hebrews 13, 12. It says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for in so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. When you are good to the stranger, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, Jesus said, you did it unto me. When you are good to the stranger who can do nothing for you, when you are good to the one who you expect nothing in return from, God marks it down, and you never know, it might even be an angel from the the Lord himself. Their name means messenger, after all. 
And so he serves these three visitors a meal. He watches as they eat. And their supernatural character is unfolded very quickly because they say, hey, where's your wife, Sarah? They know who his wife is. And then the Lord goes on to specifically give him a reassurance. In fact, two times, because when you double something, it just is a confirmation of meaning. He says, she's going to be with child. In fact, this time next year, she's going to be giving birth to a son. So she's 89, 90. Abraham's 99, 100, because they have Isaac at the age of 190. 100 for Abraham, 90 for Sarah. Not 190. So... The supernatural unfolding comes fairly quickly here. And so this is, again, a theophany. Some scholars say a Christophany. Don't worry about it. It's the Lord as one of them. Angels as the others. You say, how can God do that? Man, get over it. That's simple. God said light, and there was light. God created everything there is. Remember, if you get past Genesis 1, this stuff is easy. He's either God or he's not. Are you going to limit the God who made you, the God who created you? So fascinating. I've been reading in my study Bible, the Evidence Study Bible, all these crazy inconsistencies and nuances of how much a farce Darwinian evolution is and the complexity of humanity, the complexity of one tiny little cell, even a part of one cell, is just mind-boggling. And so the smartest among us are beginning to say, wait a minute, there's got to be an intelligence, a designer behind this, far beyond anything we could imagine or think. And we Christians go, duh, his name is God. We can introduce you to him. Of course there's a great designer. This is not hard for the Lord. And so he knows these things. And so there's great hospitality going on. And Isaac's birth is announced again. And so this is going to be fulfilled. And then Sarah overhears the announcement the annunciation of her pregnancy. Now, you might think, well, why did she act so surprised? Did you know in the Bible there's no recording of Abraham telling Sarah before this that she would be pregnant with her own child? So you might have thought, well, God already told her. Mm-mm-mm. God told Abram. Did Abram actually tell uh, Sarah? Maybe he thought she'll think I'm smoking wacky weed if I tell her she's going to have a baby, Right? I can't tell her this because Sarah offers Hagar, her maidservant, who ends up having Ishmael, probably, my opinion, reading the text and not adding to the text, reading what the Bible says, probably this is the first time she's given insight. And she overhears, I would suggest you don't tell great news and secrets in tents. People on the outside can hear you. And so she overhears, not that it's a secret, but she kind of It's not that she's necessarily laughing, doubting. She's just kind of like, yeah, right. Eh, Nothing. There's no life here. This is dead. This is barren. This is not going to happen. I'm way past my prime for bearing a child. And so it's very interesting how this all unfolds. But the Lord, I love this, the Lord himself, go look at 14 with me, y'all. Look at 14. The Lord said to Abram in 13, why did Sarah laugh saying I'll surely bear a child since I'm old? The Lord himself asked the $64,000 question. What is the $64,000 question in verse 14? What is it, church? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Now, I just want you to stop for a minute. Process that question. Because some of y'all came in here fretting over something. 
It may have been this very issue. It may have been the issue of fertility. And I will in no form belittle that. That is a serious issue. That is a deep, abiding concern. That is a pain point for far too many couples. It is a, a, a rough and challenging thing to face. I would ask you to answer the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? What is it that you're facing that you brought into this room today And then will you ask the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? The people of God historically have answered with great confidence, oh God, nothing is too hard for you. So I want to ask you to jot this down if you're a note taker. What is the greatest challenge you or someone you love has faced up to this point in your life? I just want you to think through that. Could it be related to what I just said? Could it be the loss of a child or a grandchild? What is the greatest challenge you or someone you love has faced? Could you handle it? If you're being honest, could you handle it? Chances are the answer to that is no, I couldn't. It's too much for me. But now let's turn it to the next part. Can God handle it? And then the question becomes, where is your faith? Okay? Because here's the reality. It's going to be just a few places, right? It's going to be on you. I can handle this. I've got this. It's going to be on somebody else. They can handle it. They've got it. The problem with people is at some point they'll all let you down. Or it's going to be on the divine. God's got this. God can handle this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You could render that too wondrous too wondrous, too difficult. Pele, it often has to do with God's miraculous, wonderful works. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I remember trying out for a show at King's Productions. They put on some little shows at um, Carowinds, a theme park in the North Carolina, South Carolina border. When I was 15, I would be 16 to start, and they gave me a six-month contract to move away from home and to go do a country and western type of show. This was before they were owned by Paramount and did all the character stuff. This was just get, you know, get into uh, stage stuff, you know, the shirts and the, the jeans and the boots and the hats, and that, that I had no trouble with until they brought in this specialist from Kansas City that said to our, our team of um, band and singer-dancers, they said, now we're going to show you guys how to apply your makeup. And I went, to What? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to need to get all of this stuff, and every day you're going to have to put all that. And I'm going, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, I, yeah, that, I don't do that. But if I wanted to stay in my contract, I was going to learn to apply makeup. So then they said, you need to get something to carry it in. So I thought, well, the manliest thing I can do is go get me like a camo green fish and tackle box, and I'm going to be carrying my makeup like, yeah, what's up? You know. And that's exactly what I did. Because I thought, my world is just turned upside down. The boys back home will kill me if they know. I'm sitting in front of a mirror with all the little bulbs putting on my makeup, you know. But I figured it out. And I just, I remember in those early days grumbling and griping, mostly to myself because I didn't want to lose that gig. But I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, but I remember, and then somebody said something or I read it in a book or something, and it was this phrase. And I've never forgotten it because I actually typed it back then on a typewriter, put it on a sticker, and put it on the top of that tackle box that was not full of fishing lures as it should have been, but full of cover girl or whatever it was called. 
And, and that, that little sticker I made up said this, smile, all things are difficult before they become easy. See, I figured this, mascara was invented by the devil. I didn't know that until I had to start figuring out how to, an eyeliner and whatever else that stuff was. And I know some of you, you didn't have to turn in your man card. I did. I turned mine in, but I made good money in high school to sing those shows. And here's the thing. That little phrase, smile, all things are difficult before they become easy, has stuck with me. And I look now at my granddaughters. I see what Lucy can do now at three and a half. I'm looking at Sophia at 10 months. Pulling up was hard for her a couple months ago. Now she's standing and dancing and doing the Baptist boogie, not moving her feet. And very shortly, she'll be walking. I know g can't wait to chase her around our house. And she'll be walking, and the babbling is coming, and the picking up the little pieces of food on her own. And those things that were really hard a few months ago are becoming second nature. And the reality is this. Some of us are young in the faith. Some act young in the faith. And sometimes you act like, this is too hard. I can't do this. I, I can't figure this out. Keep smiling, keep trusting the Lord, keep believing that God can handle it. Something simple like makeup, that's no big deal. But what are you facing that is a big deal? That's the real deal. And can God handle it? You say, well, I can't. You're right, you probably can't. But God says, trust me. Take one step. Now take another. See, I don't look at Sophia and expect her to run to me across the living room when I get home. But if she's holding on to anything, a finger or anything, she can take a step and then wobbly take another step. And such is the case in our life. And the longer you walk with the Lord, I believe, the less wobbly you can become. There may be some things that still knock you down. There may be some things that are really tough. Imagine you are childless. Imagine you have given your maidservant to your husband. She has conceived a son, and yet there's a bitterness and an infighting in your family. They have been cast away. Now they're going to be nomadic, and there's going to be a tension building and building all around you. And there you are at your tent, and somebody comes along and says, by this time next year, you will have your own child. It is basically an account calling us to believe that God can do the impossible. And I'm here to tell you today, no matter what you brought into the room, God can do the impossible, but you're going to have to trust him. You can laugh about it. You can sneer about it. You can think there's no way, but if God can open a dead womb, and if God can bring a dead man out of a tomb, God can do anything he wants to do in your life. But you need to trust him. You need to believe him. If you or anyone you love is facing something really hard, facing something seemingly impossible, I want to ask you a question. And I realized I'm not even going to be close to getting as much material done today as I want. So I don't know what we're going to do about that. We'll come back next week. Part two just became part three. I can't, fin I can't, I can't rush what I've got. I've got this is too important. And especially with Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to take an aside and I'm going to say this. I'm tired of the wishy-washy, mamby-pamly, goobly got. Somebody sent me an email this week, dancing around preaching that doesn't want to say it straight. If you don't want to hear some preaching that's going to say it straight, you don't want to come the next two weeks. Now, I'm going to tell you all right now. I'm going to tell you right now. 
I promise you this. Listen now. I promise you I'm not going to be ugly. I promise you I'm not going to be out of balance. I promise you I'm not going to beat on one thing and not be holistic. But I promise you we're going to say things straight. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to apologize for the word of God. God said it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I know some of y'all are going to be like, oh, I don't know what he's going to talk about. We're going to talk about some hard stuff, but some real stuff. And the reality is sometimes we've taken the pendulum on this, these texts coming up and we've swung it way over here to say just one thing, one thing only, and we just hammer on it, hammer on it, hammer on it. That's not right. And sometimes we swing way over here and we say, well, well, this is really about that. And we kind of fill in the gap with other things, secondary, tertiary matters. We're not going to do that. So I'm, I'm going to have to bring this down to this. I'm going to make it real simple. I'm, I'm going to just kind of close. Man, I hate to do this. I got so much left. I'm going I'm to close this out with this. What kinds of hands are you raising to the Lord? That question came to my mind in my office, here's what I was doing. I was processing and praying, what are some tragedies? I mentioned my father. Some of you have lost a child. Um, I was doing some ministering this week with someone that lost a spouse and, and just a wonderful family, just a, and a godly family. And I just thought about the pain associated with different types of loss and different challenges and we know some folks that have lost jobs and folks that are facing financial strain. And I don't know if any of y'all have looked at the housing market like we got two daughters and two sons-in-law looking at buying a starter home, and it's insane. You know, they can afford like 250 square feet. So it's really bad right now. I mean, it's just, it's a hard market. But there are all of these different kinds of things. And this phrase, I just thought, and I'm sitting there and I'm walking, I literally will walk around my office. If you had a camera and you could see me, you'd think, he's done lost it. But I'm talking to the Lord and I'm processing what I'm reading and I'm processing Sarah's question and what's going to happen with Isaac and then Abraham being asked to kill him. And I'm thinking about the narrative and I'm thinking, Lord, why is it? And I'm doing this and I catch myself because I tend to talk with my hands. Lord, why is it that this happened this way? And why is it that Lot chose that beautiful, well-watered land? The Bible talks about Sodom and Gomorrah as a well-watered plain. Why is it that the people got so just doggone perverse and took the great resources around them, the beautiful resources around them in that beautiful land, and they just sent it to the dogs? I mean, literally, fire and brimstone rained down upon it. And we're going to talk about all of that. And I thought, Lord, why? And then it was like the Spirit of God said, what kind of hands are you going to raise before God? See, they're hands of questions. Lord, why? They're hands of anger. God, I can't stand that. God, why did you allow that to happen? So the question even morphs into anger. And we have a big God who can handle your hands of anger, by the way. David at times raised angry hands before the Lord, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. God, I can't take this. And then I thought, Lord, what would the best response be when we're in the fire, when we're not understanding, maybe like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were literally in the fire. Maybe why? Maybe I don't like this. Can become, though he slay me, yet will I trust you. And can become hands of praise and hands of worship. And don't you think there are situations in life where sometimes it's a little bit of all three? 
God, why? I don't like this. But I'll trust you anyway. Don't you think sometimes it can be all of it? And sometimes super Christians, we pretend that we got it all figured out. And it's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Praise the Lord. But you don't really feel that way. You're mad at God. You don't understand God. I read the narrative over and over and over and over. And I still go, God, why did you choose to do it that way? That was a weird way to do it. Didn't you know that all these people would fight and these families would fight and we would have tension that would last all the way to today? And it's like God is saying, oh, okay, I guess you figured it out, son. You know better than I do now. I guess your ways are higher than my ways there, Bobby. And I've had to come to the place of realizing that the hands I raised before the Lord are sometimes going to be questioning hands. And there may be even times of angry hands. But I'm hoping that throughout all of that, there are going to be hands of praise. Hands that say, God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, as we're going to have to come back now and see next week, thank you for your mercy. You tell me you're willing to spare a wicked, debase, perverse ungodly place an entire city you'll spare all of those heathens for a handful God said yeah I'll do that what does that say for us you can look around Grace Baptist Church and you can say man this culture's going to H and a H this culture's bad this thing is wicked God is going to judge could it be that you are the one who remains righteous so that God's hand of judgment is stayed and God says, I will not smite the righteous with the wicked. Could it be that you're the one? Could it be that your family is taking a stand? Could it be that you will do right? And even when you don't understand, I mean, when you get to Abraham perched over the son of promise, knife in hand, ready to do what God says, you got to go, Lord, what are you up to here? And yet we know what happens. We'll get there. One of these days, I promise. Stand with me. Man, I didn't get far at all, y'all. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about these next couple of weeks, though. I'm going to just tell you. As ugly as it is, it's sort of like looking at that Sound of Freedom film. As ugly as it is, there are good people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. As bad as it is out there, there are some good people that are making a real difference. And rather than getting overwhelmed and saying, this city, this state, this nation, this world is so lost, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather hold hands with good people that serve a good God, that get big things done. I'd rather hold hands with my missionary friends. I would rather work here and around the world to make sure that at least somebody's being reached, that at least somebody's being loved well with the truth of the gospel. Sorry I didn't get to the story I told you about. It's a good story, though. I'll get there next time. Can't I wait promise to hear you. it. Um, I want to hold hands and believe that God is more than able. And when you think about this, I would encourage you very strongly in the next week, read ahead. Look at that second half of Genesis. We kind of went over quickly, but we're going to come back to it. Look at chapter 19. 
look ahead into chapter 19 and let it really speak to your heart. You're probably going to have some questions about it. You're probably going to have some things that you go, I mean, when, when, when Lot offers his daughters, I'm going, what? And then I talked to some of our guys here that have worked in human trafficking, and you know what they told me? They said one of the places where these precious little children are sold is from their own mamas and daddies. Onesimo Marilda. I'll never forget the first time I worked on the Amazon and heard of a father who up to that point, you may know this family, I guarantee you do, I'll talk to you after. The father had been selling his daughters to the peacock bass fishermen. As soon as they came into womanhood, you follow what I'm saying? At 11, 12 years old, the fishermen would get off the boat. The father would let them go into his hut and abuse his daughters. And then they would pay him so that he could in turn buy the alcohol that kept him numb to the realities of his life. And I met the daughter of the man who was next in line, getting ready at that age of her life to begin coming into that phase of womanhood. And she said, the missionaries got to my village and they shared Jesus with our village and my father. And my father genuinely gave his life to Christ. And the reason, yeah, the, the reason that my daddy didn't sell me over and over and over to these filthy men is because Jesus changed his heart and she went on to marry a missionary's son, the same family that had come to bring salvation to her home. And so we're going to read this and you're going to hear some absolute, twisted, nasty, hedonistic, perverse things. But I'm telling y'all, Without Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in your place to pay for your sin and mine, without his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his current mediation, if you do not turn and you do not trust him as Lord and Savior, there is the propensity for evil and wickedness in us all. And you may gasp and you may say, oh, that is the most horrific thing I've ever heard and I've ever read, and yet the Bible says... That when we break even one point of God's law, we're just like that dad who would sell his own daughters. That was happening then, and that's happening now. And the hope of the world is Christ and Christ alone. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.